My pleasure to be joined this morning by the Attorney General for the state of Connecticut, William Tong, joins us this morning. Mr. Tong, good morning. Good to see you. Thanks for coming in today. And you're on the way to Plainfield, Connecticut. Tell us why. We're going to Plainfield this morning. First of all, good morning, Wayne. Uh, Should we tell people what's going on here Yeah, today? well, I'm, I'm really, first of all, I'm really glad to be here in uh, Willimantic. Romantic like, um, Willimantic. Romantic Willimantic. <laughs> Uh, because we're up close and personal, Wayne, you and me. What's going on? Well, for the listeners, uh, we've got across the table from me these guest mics set up. And long story short, the guest mics don't work. Not only that, when I try to turn that guest mic control on, it takes us off the air. So so we're snuggled up together. The two of us are on my side of the board, which <laughs> never happens. And we're using the same mic because that's the only one right now that's working. So there's the there's the inside radio story. Now, why are you in Eastern Connecticut so, today? Uh, I'm going to Plainfield um, to talk about our work on the opioid and addiction crisis, which I don't have to tell the listeners here has hit Eastern Connecticut particularly hard, has hit Connecticut particularly hard. When I'm with my other um, fellow attorneys general from across the country, uh, they know that we are a small, hard-hit state. That's how we're referred to in opioid world. Um, there are a number of small, hard-hit states like New Hampshire and Vermont. We're one of them. And and that means that, that uh, upwards of 1,400 people um, will lose their lives this year in Connecticut. That's 1,400 families wrecked by this crisis, Connecticut families, and more than $10 billion in damage. So I'm going to go talk to the Regional Behavioral Health Action Organization. There are six of them. And your Regional uh, Behavioral Health Action Organization is uh, hosting a meeting in Plainfield where I'll talk about the more than $50 billion we've recovered from the opioid and addiction industry, more than $600 million coming to Connecticut, including Purdue Pharma. And then, interestingly, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about the youth vaping crisis as well and we just passed an important piece of legislation. Um, thank you to the delegation out here, um, uh, Susan Johnson and May Flexer and others. Um, but um, what we're going to do is we settled with Juul for more than $435 million for their role in the youth vaping crisis. You know, young people are vaping at an alarming rate, including middle schoolers and high schoolers. And that money is going to come into Connecticut. Um, it's about $16 million. And we're going to make sure that that money goes directly to the regional action organizations so they can put that money out to help confront and stop youth vaping here in, in, in Willimantic in the region. A couple of questions about this. Number one, it is in Plainfield, but it's a region-wide, a statewide issue. You're just simply using Plainfield as a venue for this today. But I saw you were in Ridgefield last week. Same basic message you give today that you gave in Ridgefield last week? Same basic message. Yeah, I'm just getting around. I want to show Plainfield a little love. So we're going to Plainfield. <laughs> you know, I get to Willimantic a fair bit. We got the Boombox Parade coming up. I've been in this studio before. Um, and so uh, Plainfield is a, a great place to have this conversation, but also to draw attention to communities like Plainfield that are so hard hit by this crisis. You know, the governor signed the budget, I believe it was yesterday. Are there 
Items in that budget that pertain to your office, the Attorney General's office, in other words, are there things now that you can do that you couldn't do before this budget, or were you reduced in any capacity? No, we weren't reduced. Um, actually, there is a, a number of important developments. Uh, chief among them was a major expansion of um, our authority to take on corruption um, here in Connecticut, it would surprise you to know that until now we had fairly limited ability to take on misconduct with respect to uh, the use of state funds. Uh, The state of Connecticut has a law called a false claims law. Every state has one. Every state in the region has one and the federal government has one. What does that mean? A false claims law is if you do business with state government, if you're a contractor, you build a highway and you... Uh, you overbill us, overcharge us, or you defraud the, the state. Unfortunately, it happens. That's a false claim in that you've made a claim to get paid and it's false. Okay. So uh, we had a fairly limited false claims law that was limited only to human services, social services, healthcare spending. And now um, I have full authority to use uh, false claims authority to, to go after any misconduct using state money. And so that's going to be a really important development. Um, Senator Flexer, by the way, was a huge proponent of this law. Um, She knows how important it is for her district in Eastern Connecticut. I want to thank May for her leadership on this. Um, But but it's a big deal for the people of this state. Um, There were questions about school construction recently. Um, We saw what happened in in West Haven. Um, There are questions about the Port Authority in New London. This will give us the opportunity and the ability to take action, hold them accountable. Just got an email from a listener named Sandy who says, would you mind asking the AG if he could do something about private information that is on the WWW? While I know that it's impossible to halt personal information as a lot of it is sold and money-making business, could we have some of the same laws that California has? It's the only state, as far as I know, that has and enforces the personal privacy information on the net to the degree that is absolutely astonishing. It's a sad state of affairs when our information is dispersed to the public and we are so helpless unless we pay large sums to people to do the cleaning for a large fee. The state can serve us better. They have the means. Thoughts? Yes, we are We are all over it. Um, and uh, let me say a couple things. Number one, uh, George Jepson, my predecessor, was the first attorney general in this country to establish a unit, a department in the office of the attorney general to focus on privacy and to take on the major, major data breaches and to protect the privacy of, of uh, your listener and, and so many of us, because we live in a world now in which um, our personal data has become a really valuable commodity um, that can be, that is gathered by, by private companies and then bought and sold. And in the, in the worst moments, um, the security of that information is breached and it ends up on the dark web. And scammers and others try to take advantage of us. And and what's hard about it is so much information is collected every single day, even without you knowing it, right? Um, and and unfortunately, uh, it, it, it's a phenomenon now referred to as the surveillance economy, because we're constantly being watched by, by companies and people who want to sell us products, but also people who want to take advantage of us and, and steal from us. So that's why uh, uh, Attorney General Jepson created this department. We've grown it. Um, we're now a national leader among the states on 
going after major data breaches. So Equifax, Home Depot, all of that. Connecticut was in the lead recently, T-Mobile. Um, and, and Connecticut has now passed uh, a robust data privacy law. It's not quite what California has. California is the leader among the states. But only a handful of states, we may be the sixth or the seventh to pass such a law. Virginia uh, is another state that we work closely with and has passed their own law that looks a lot like Connecticut's. And this year, this legislature and the governor um, have passed a an enhancement of the data privacy law, um, which, by the way, includes uh, features of what you see in California, like the right to know what data has been collected, the right to opt out of data collection, the right to delete um what somebody has collected. So we're we're digging in in Connecticut and anchoring many of the same rights that they have in California to protect people here in Connecticut. I understand that you have a little radio in your background. What was your uh, radio history? Well, uh, I, I had the privilege of working at National Public Radio uh, the summer after my first year in law school. And I work for the legendary Nina Totenberg. Um, and that was... Uh, uh, Monica, the summer of Monica Lewinsky. So I'm dating myself a little bit. As opposed uh, to dating Monica. <laughs> I'm going to leave that one. Uh, so uh, uh, I spent the summer um, uh, with Nina chasing around, uh, you know, all of the leads and various witnesses who testified in in um, the Clinton impeachment, basically. And, and then um, her husband, passed away, uh, Floyd Haskell, who is a, a United States Senator from Colorado. And uh, when Nina Totenberg's husband passed away, um, um, she had people over the house, right? Who brought over food and and came to sit with her um, and, and essentially sit Shiva with her um, uh, for a couple of days. And the who's who of Washington came through her living room, including most of the justices of the Supreme Court, including Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Antonin Scalia. So it was amazing to spend the summer as her intern and to hang out uh, um, at, at National Public Radio. And that was your radio career? You haven't done your own show since? Well, it's been exceeded by my experience <laughs> here. Let me let me add something. Oh, just stop right there. Let now. me add something, though. Uh, do you know what happened uh, on this day 12 years ago? Let me see. That would have been 2011. Yeah. Uh, no. My son, weather? my son Sasha was born. Today's his birthday. So She's, happy birthday! I should have Sasha. that. I would have had him on the birthday club earlier today had <laughs> I known that. All right, back to business here with the attorney general. We uh, had a listener call during the break, and there's been some talk lately about the Willimantic police and their ability or lack thereof of using Narcam when it's important to be used. Talk about the statewide effort to get more of that to uh, treat drug overdoses and perhaps anything you might know about what's going on as far as the availability of that for Willimantic. Well, let me let me just say that uh, obviously uh, Willimantic and, and the police uh, and the leadership here um, are responsible for the response plan to the addiction crisis in the area. But I was here in November of last year and met with local police, fire, and municipal leadership here in Willimantic. I know they're all over it too, and this is a huge priority for them. 
to confront the opioid and addiction crisis here in this community. So my job is to take on the big bad actors and to get, as I mentioned earlier, more than $50 billion out of them. $600 million of that will come to Connecticut after we split it up among the states. And, and that money, almost all of it, will go to treatment and prevention and addiction science. The reason why I was here in November is was to announce um, the first payments by Johnson & Johnson. Everyone's heard of that company. Um, the first payments from J&J uh, under the opioid settlements and, and how that money is going to make its way tens of thousands of dollars to start to, um, to Willimantic and Wyndham in the area. Um, and I expect that more will happen along the way. More will be forthcoming along the way. That sounds good. You just made an announcement yesterday urging the FCC to clarify rules concerning consent for telemarketing, robocalls, and texts. Well, we all know what a big issue that is. Give me the update on that, and might this mean that we get fewer robocalls in the well, future? Well, let me say this. It, it doesn't feel like it, but we already are receiving fewer robocalls because of the actions that we've taken and other states uh, and state attorneys general have taken. We busted the largest ever robocall scam ring, Associated Community Services, that had put out billions of calls a couple of years ago. Um, and, and we have now, uh, we're investigating 20 of the worst bad actors in the robocall industry. We just sued one called Avid Telecom that, that sells um, scam calls. We have emails and communications where they say, hey, what kind of, what kind of rob scam robocalls do you want to do? We can sell those services to you. And, uh, Wayne, if you have a smartphone, most of us do, um, you know, you'll see on the screen sometimes a message that says potential spam, right? Yes. Or that it's on the caller ID. Yeah, yeah. That, that is technology that, that um, state attorneys general that I and others forced the telecommunications companies to deploy for free so that you can now you can know um, what what the what the call is and potentially um, uh, protect yourself from a scam call. Now, on my iPhone, I have an app here called Call yeah. Protect. I yeah. think that's an AT and T thing, but uh, it it seems that I think isn't that what triggers the scam the spam call message? Uh, that may be an additional layer of protection, but but the technology that that we've deployed doesn't require an app. It's called Stir Shaken, and so that just happens um, through the telecommunications companies. But yes, the the recent law that we passed um, uh, expands our anti robocall laws, gives us enforcement powers against people that use text messages. It bans. Um, the use uh, uh, by by certain types of providers, gateway providers, it bans their ability to sell um, scam calls to people um, and and to route illegal robocalls into Connecticut. So um, our powers are enhanced, but I don't have to tell you um, in this fight, uh, it's a bit of a game of whack-a-mole because it's so easy to. Um, to, to, to deploy robocalls, the technology is cheap um, and and basic and simple. So um, we'll continue to chase them. I think what maybe the scariest thing now is what they do. They find a way to morph or spoof some other local phone number. And sometimes it even has a local business. And it looks like it's a local business calling you. 
and it winds up being somebody calling from India to try to sell you some crap. And this new piece of legislation also enhances our ability to take on that problem um, when when a call maybe originate from somewhere else, but they use an 860 or a 475 or a 203 area code uh, to try to trick us. You know, the biggest and and weirdest and sometimes very unnerving phenomenon is when you get a call from your own number. I've had that. You've had that, yeah. right? And what do you do? You pick it up because you think there's something wrong with your phone. Yeah, I wasn't right? there. <laughs> I wasn't home. You were. You weren't home. <laughs> no, but you know what? This has gotten. I'm still getting them. And what it means in my world is that when my landline, yes, I still have a landline. When my landline rings, I don't answer it. I figure if it's anybody important, they'll leave a message. They'll um, leave a message. The other thing I would say to people is, d- don't don't pick up if you don't recognize the number, and don't stay on the phone. Some people tell me that uh, they like to play with the scammers. They like to you know, um, try to scam them back. Don't do that. Um, e- even if you think you're smarter than the scammers, chances are they're they're running some scam with you while you're on the phone. So don't try to outsmart them. All of us are at risk of being scammed. I don't care how smart you are or what your job is or what your education is. You know, all of us are at risk. They're always a step ahead. And by the way, if you pick up, now they know that you pick up. Right. And, and and they have technology to track the people that pick up and you'll get more calls. If my answering machine picks up, does that come as a. Oh, I don't a, know. But but you don't, uh, you're not going with that, though. No, right? no. You know, there, there's only so much you can do, of course, and you can't live your life around uh, these scam calls. But I would just say do the best you can and, and don't pick up calls and don't stay on the phone. People you don't know. You and I have talked a lot about how active you are in trying to secure this, get it, you know, continue to toughen up the state's assault weapons ban. And there are some people seeking to repeal that. Give me an update on where that stands right now, and do you think they can be successful? No, I don't think they're going to be successful. Um, I, I, I believe, even though the Supreme Court made a decision in a case called Bruin that fundamentally changed the way that the Supreme Court and the law approaches state gun laws, the Supreme Court has acknowledged recently that states have the right and prerogative under the state's police powers to keep us safe from gun violence. And nobody knows the horrors of gun violence better than we do here in Connecticut. Sandy Hook. What happened in Sandy Hook. And and I am very confident that Connecticut's gun laws are constitutional. I wrote a number of them myself when I was in the legislature. And I'm eminently confident that our assault weapons ban and our high-capacity magazine ban will survive constitutional scrutiny. They have before, they will again. And along the same lines, restrictions on handgun sales to individuals under 21, another step in the right direction. Yeah, and I think that any reasonable judge and the Supreme Court is going to agree that um, we need to be careful about the types of people um, that have access to firearms and young people is one of the groups of people that we wanna protect from gun violence. Talk about the health care rates that have skyrocketed, including an average increase of 12.4% on individual health plans. What can you do to fight that? So we're going to go um, before the insurance department. We are formulating our strategy now. I pushed hard against them the last time that um, they sought increases of 20, 30%. And um, because of our efforts, they they cut those proposals down significantly 
And though there were still increases, they were much less than what the insurers were seeking. We're going to do the same thing now. We're going to attack these rate increases. We're going to analyze them. We're going to push back. And we're going to try to protect Connecticut residents and families. But here, here's how I look at it. Um, you know, very few people, I don't know about you, but I haven't received a, uh, you know, most people haven't received a 12 to 14% increase in their salaries in, you know, in the last year. And uh, how can they afford it if the insurance company is going to jack up their rates 12 to 14%. There just isn't room in the budget for that for most Connecticut families. Do you feel that the pandemic and COVID played a role in why they've had or are they feel a need to increase because they've had so many more cases due to COVID? You know, that's their excuse um, that their quote-unquote claims experience is worse. They also blame the, the legislature for passing laws requ- requiring breast and ovarian cancer screening and children's mental health services. Give me a break. You know, I think everybody listening, everyone across Connecticut agrees that we should have breast and ovarian cancer screening and that children's mental health is an issue. It doesn't, from a cost perspective, move the needle that much. They're just looking for, they're looking for any excuse to jack up the rates. In the news today and this week, red light cameras, Speed enforcement cameras, uh, from a legal standpoint, did they have to run that through your office to make sure that that was going to be all done legally? So our job is to um, represent in uh, the legislature, and if it's challenged, we'll be there to represent the state. Um, I don't think there's any question that the legislature has this authority. Um, And this has been a discussion that's been around for 20 years. And when I first went to the legislature, we were talking about red light cameras. Um, and they've been deployed in other states across the country. So it was the legislature's judgment. Um, if the governor signs it, uh, it'll become the law and another tool in law enforcement. Attorney General Tong, it's a pleasure to have you here. Look forward to more visits in the future. In the meantime, great talking to you this morning. Great talking to you. Enjoyed snuggling up to you this morning. Because <laughs> we've got a little microphone issue here. So we are shoulder to shoulder this morning with the Connecticut Attorney General William Tog on 14 WILI Willimantic and 95.3 FM.